Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to The Pathless Path. I'm Paul Millard, and in this podcast, we examine the invisible scripts that run our lives and dare to imagine new stories for work and life. Today, I am talking with my guest who's joining me for tea in my home, uh, Billy Oppenheimer. He is a writer, uh, super curious human, also happens to be a research assistant for Ryan Holiday. Uh, excited to dive into all this today, explore what it's like working for creator, um, your own creative journey, some of your own ha- ahas along the way from travel, uh, the creative path, etc. Welcome to the Pathless Path. Good to be here, Paul. I'm a fan of your work, the podcast. Um, the book was really helpful for me to sort of make sense of the journey I've been on. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to talk with you more awesome so one of the things i talk about in the book is our scripts we grew up with right the default path i talk about and uh we've talked a bit about this in austin what what were the stories and scripts you grew up with that shaped life for you growing up um so i feel pretty fortunate because when i think back on childhood and like middle school high school i didn't have anything my parents weren't pushing me to, to go down any any sort of path. There were no real expectations um, beyond just like sort of just blind support of um, I'm the youngest of three. And I, I feel like they, they just by the time it got to me, they it, it wasn't like it's always the, way more chill on the youngest. Right. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I there was less um, eyes on me and just my, my parents were supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Um, and I didn't have any real, my dad was an entrepreneur, had his own company and my mom worked for him, um, in the business. And so it was influential for me to see that and, um, and that there was never any pressure to do this or that. It was sort of just, I was on my own almost. Awesome. So your dad, you, you wrote about your dad, you wrote this thing. I didn't realize till later he had money. Um, and, uh, were you shocked by that or just the messages you were getting from him, which was not money centric and it turned out he did was pretty successful. Yeah. One of the things I now can sort of in hindsight kind of appreciate or, or I think what he was sort of intentional about was money just wasn't a big a big deal it, w- it wasn't something that was talked about I had no clue what you know what he was making what the how we were in in terms of like middle class I, I didn't have any sense of any of that where'd you go um, in Philadelphia in a suburb outside of, outside the city and yeah it just wasn't a thing I thought about and now looking back I just like I think it was it sh- it definitely shaped some of the choices I make because that was ne- I never factored in money along the way. I, I still you didn't even pick it up from society. I mean, Philadelphia, you're getting a lot of messages from your peers. I imagine. Yes, I definitely um, like throughout high school and college. I thought I was going to go um, sort of the New York City finance or business the, the business path because a lot of my my friends. In high school and college, that's sort of just that was, kind of what I all I knew was like yeah. those were the options. Um, 
I've I found your lacrosse page on oh, nice. Lehigh's uh, page, and there's like a trivia about you. Have you read this in a while? No. Do you know that's up there? No. <laughs> so you wrote that um, first, first off was like one of your role models was um, Johnny, like who's the quarterback? Johnny, uh, he was like very famous in high school, but panned out in college i'll have to pull it up but yeah i don't know i'm not not like a big football fan (laughs) um but you said your dream jobs were to be to work at a law firm or wall street really yeah okay that's exactly what you said what is your dream job law firm or wall street yes okay that does i mean i I don't don't remember that but it is that was where my head was at in college um and i actually i i put as you said, I played lacrosse. So I, ha- I remember I had a meeting with our assistant coach my junior year and we were just sort of talking about like career stuff and what I was thinking for after, after college. And I, I sort of told him I was thinking maybe law school. And I think I was landing on that just as like, I wanted to have some, some like certainty in what I was telling people. Cause when that conversation came up, um, I sort of just liked the idea of saying I might be going to law school. Yeah. Um, and he, my assistant coach was, um, he set up a phone call between me and one of his college teammates who went down the law track. And he was like, if anything, you'll, you'll, you'll learn, um, maybe about like what path to go down. Um, so he set up a call and I remember I was asking him all about his, his journey. And he was like, honestly, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it. And if I had any advice to you, I'd say, don't go to law school. <laughs> so many lawyers yeah. are like this. Yeah. Um, but nobody ever listens to that. Did you listen I, to I that? I took it like f- from that conversation. I was like, law school is off the table. One I, combo. Yeah. And I didn't done. even really know the guy that well, but he was so like, I remember the phone call and just like, wow. Like, Why would your, maybe, do you think your coach was wanting you to talk to him to discover that? Yes, because it's his, it's one of his good friends. And I think he knew that he was kind of miserable in that as a lawyer and super successful. And he still, I I actually saw him like not too long ago, the first time I met him in person. I was like, I don't know if you remember this, but you're you're the one that talked to me. I go to law school. I was like, no, I remember the conversation well. That's amazing. And you said you would look around when you were younger, maybe after this conversation of people one, three, five, ten years ahead of you. Were you consciously doing that and seeking out people and looking for models or was it just something you always paid attention to? I think I, um, I'm more aware of it in the last couple of years than I've, it, it, it was, it's long been like a subconscious thing for me because, um, even with sports, like the way I would, with lacrosse, for instance, I would watch my favorite players and then I'd go out and like try to do what they did. And it's, it's been my, that's my approach with, with writing um, and now with just like kind of career stuff. But I remember having that realization after, after college um, when I was, I was like just kind of traveling, doing the ski bum, chasing winter. And I thought I was going to do that for like at least the next five or 10 years. Cause I just, it, it was so much fun. Um, and I was listening to Ryan on a podcast and he was talking about how he, um, one of the things he like learned from, or one of the reasons he wanted to work for Robert Green was like, he liked the life Robert got to live and he wanted to go be close to that. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And then I started to look around big. Like, the people that are um, 10 or 15 years down this track that I'm on. And it kind of just, I was like pretty scared by that. I was like, I don't. The the ski bum path. Right. Yeah. And there I, are some people that seem to genuinely enjoy that, right? Yeah. You meet people in these communities and they're thriving. But there's also people who you can tell they're kind of yearning. What if I had done this, yeah. right? And I could I could see like waking up in 40 years and just being like, what did I do? You know, it would have been a great, like, I would have got to ski a lot. It would have been kind of like an easy, chill, fun life. But then it's just like, man, I didn't, like, do much. Yeah. So then that's when um, I became, like, more, like, all right, now let me go find someone who 
is 10 years ahead of me with like a life I, I would want. So outside of Ryan, uh, who else were some of those models for you? Um, Robert Greene is definitely a huge What about it, though? Like just sitting around and writing a I lot? I like that they, like Robert. He's a deep thinker. Deep thinker. Um, like his job is just to like read and find stories and then bring that back to his writing. Um, and if you like call Robert, it'll go straight to his voicemail. And he's just you know, he's just like reading and he's just like on this relentless search for material that he can use in his writing. And I just, um, yeah, those are the, my two big, like role models right now for sure. Did you have any anti-models besides the 40 year old ski bumps? Uh, (laughs) no, I don't No, I haven't like specifically pointed out someone was like, yeah, that's not where I want to go. I'm more focused on like, the people that um, I look up to and are doing work that, um, and have carved out just like the day to dayness of a life that yeah um, that I would want. Awesome. So I I've read the story about reaching out to Ryan, but at what point? Um, what were you doing? Where were you? Uh, who were you surrounded by in those key communities? I was. Um, so I, what I was doing was I was I'd spend the Northern Hemisphere's winter in Colorado. And then I was going to New Zealand for their winter. Um, and I was, I was between chasing winter as chasing winter. Yep. And I was between, um, seasons. I was home about to get on a flight back to Colorado. And prior to, um, like a year and a half prior to that, I'd started a blog that I was just sort of like keeping basically only, could conceive of my family reading it. So it was, it was, I was just writing to kind of like keep people up to date with what, what I was doing and, and that kind of thing. And my uncle, um, I saw him like between, uh, New Zealand and Colorado and he recommended one of Ryan's books, which one, um, perennial seller. Cause he was like, if, if you, he, he was a fan of what I was doing. He like liked my writing and he was like, you should think about taking this serious. And if you do, I just read this great book. Like you, wow. sh- you should read it. Um, and I read that book on the flight to Colorado. Um, and you know, I, at the back of the book, it's like also by author. So I ordered like his three or four other books and just like went down the rabbit hole of, of his work. What did that mean to you, your uncle? Sort of it, believing. I, I mean, that stuff is huge. It was huge because he is like, um, kind of like. I don't know if notorious is the word, but like he's a, regarded in our family as like a reader and he, he himself is a writer. Um, what kind of writing? He, he's nonfiction, historical stuff, huge Churchill fan. Um, he's working on a, on a Churchill book. Nice. Um, but it was like, yeah, for him to, to say he liked something about the writing was, was kind of cool. And, and, what do you think he saw? I don't know. I'm a little, I, like, I, I think anyone that looks back on, on like, their writing, f- even still yeah, for me today, like, if I look back look. on stuff, like, three, four months ago, I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but I think there were, like, glimpses of, like, hmm. some good stuff. And um, I actually was, like, s- prior to finding Ryan's work, I was kind of gravitating t- towards a similar style of, like, storytelling, um, from like what I was reading, stuff I was reading to tying it to like what I was learning in those travels. So it was, I think part, he was like, this will be a good book if you want to take this serious, but also like a similar style. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about reaching out to Ryan. You realized he was in the same town <laughs> or town over, right? Yes. Yes. Well, so no, I'd, I'd you had emailed him first. Yeah. I emailed right? him in like June of 2018 after I think I, by that point, I read like four or five of his books and, and everything that he had published online and reached out to him, just offered to like help with the research stuff. And, um, and I, that led to a few like odd projects here and there. And then he was in Vail um, to give us, he was speaking at some conference and he posted a run on the app Strava, 
which I used at the time um, to like record runs. And I was walking out of my apartment to like go for a run. And I saw he had like just finished one in Vail. I was like, ah, oh, that's, um, that's weird. I wonder what he's doing here. So I just, I emailed him. And prior to that, it hadn't come up like where I live. So he had no idea. Um, I was like, how long are you in town? Be awesome to meet in person. He's like, oh, I fly out tomorrow. But if you come to the, this conference, like we'll find some time before or after. So I went to, to the thing and listened to him speak. And then like afterwards, people were trying to like get some time with him and just keeps like doing this. He's like motioning me to like follow him. And I'm like, all right. So then um, he like breaks away from the crowd and then we go upstairs. He's like waiting for his rental car to pick him up. And in that like five minutes, we just like chatted. I, I asked him a couple questions and he was like, it's really good that you, you came out. Like we've been, we've actually been looking to like bring on someone full time. Like would you have any interest? So yes, and I just sort of jumped on that and then been working for him in that like capacity since then. That's pretty amazing. Uh, he's he's had I sense he's had a big impact on many people. It's funny, and one of our mutual friends, Sky King, mm. also cold emailed Ryan about the same time, thinking about oh, leaving. Really? Yeah, thinking about leaving his job and like saying, "Here's my vision for podcasting." And Ryan was like, "Go do it." Here are the books you need to read. Interesting. And like a lot of why he ended up coming to Austin as well is a very similar story. Told on the podcast, you can look it up. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I so I think I the time between first emailing him and that um, meeting in Vail, I think it was like three or four months. So in that time, I was doing like odd projects for him. Um, so I would like go teach skiing and I'd come back and like work on whatever I had to work on with Ryan. And then like um, what? Um, he would have me like transcribes. Like he, he would do like prior to starting the Daily Stoic podcast, he would do interviews on, on the site and he would record them with the, so like I, I transcribed like a two hour conversation between him and Robert. Um, I did like a, a kind of summary piece of Epictetus's discourses for the blog. He would send me like a quote he, he had come across and like, can you find me the original source? Just like random stuff. Yeah. Um, and this kind of stuff is so underrated. I don't think people understand like how powerful it can be just to be willing to do like, Front work like well, that, even right? Like, yeah, and now, like when I see a quote, my like instinct is to go find the original source, and like I don't know if that would have came. It's just through like seeing how he tracks stuff down is like it's that has rubbed off on me. But also, yeah, the grunt, the grunt work, and like I just remember like transcribing that conversation, and just being like, wow, no one's like, I'm the only person that's that's listening to this conversation. It's pretty cool. But it was yeah, it was just like random random stuff and it's still kind of like that like it i might have an email from him now like an, an image from a book he's reading it's like hey um can we find can we like triangulate this story yeah and then we just i just sort of like go digging for like more on that yeah and how do you what does your research process look like um with ryan specifically or stuff just like in that general? like how would you go how would you approach that obviously you start with google and <laughs> So might yeah, go to books and um, so everything like or for the most part he's a lot of what we read is biographies and he's looking for stories. So if he finds like a story about um, the queen in one biography, he wants to triangulate it to see like maybe in in the telling in this other book there's a there's like a quote that this biographer didn't use. Um, so what I'll do is like, I'll grab a section of, um, the story and like quote search it in Google and then filter like by the other books and see what, like who else is telling the story. And then I'll order those books and, and go find that, like that story and just put all the, the core details and things left out in the version he read into a document and just like send that to him. Yeah. This is such an underrated thing. I feel like so many people are communicating at like the abstracted layer of like current knowledge. Yeah. Um, and just sort of, it's so easy to just go into the books and find out what people said. Um, and then like go like even one layer deep. Yeah. 
you're usually finding things that nobody else is looking into. But if you go two layers deep, you can suddenly get really interesting uh, themes. And I mean, it's a lot of what I did in my book. I would just like go like this. People say things changed after World War II. Why don't we just go see what people were actually saying at the time mm-hmm. and connect the dots that way? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you embrace the note card system that Ryan is famous for. Yes. Um, how do you feel about fully digital systems? <laughs> um, I, I think it's like find what works. The, the, the thing I often see with the digital system for most people is they just copy and paste things into it for the most yeah. part. And I'm a, and Ryan's a believer and I'm learned from him is like using time as a filter. So like one of the important parts of the note card system is after you read the book is like setting it aside for some time. Because if you like, if you've ever like underlined stuff in a book and then you go back through and you're like, actually it's not as interesting as I, (laughs) as I originally thought. This happened to me last week. Yeah. I was like taking, it was like folding down pages and going back. I'm like, why did I highlight this? Right. This is not interesting. But like the novelty of it, I think, is like, oh, I've never seen that before. I'm going to highlight it. Yeah. But, but so like for people with digital systems, they're capturing all of that. So mm. then all so of, there's no like cutting process. Yeah. So when I go back through a book, I might have like half the pages earmarked but I'm only making like five or six note cards because it's like what what is still holding up is interesting. So I, that's why I think if you can get yourself to do that digitally, but I think digital just is like it lends itself to copy and paste. Yeah, this is ultimately the problem with the digital world. There's, there's too much information. <laughs> there's no synthesis, yeah, right? Yeah. And this is the huge upside of writing online. If you can synthesize, add taste or discernment to ideas, you can um, add a lot of value for people. Yes. So yeah. what uh, I sense like working for Ryan is like your version of actually working in banking, right? Or lawyer, <laughs> except it's aligned with the life you actually want to live. Yeah. But what I mean by that is you're learning a very like in- like it's an intense process. Yeah. You're getting a lot of reps. Yes. Right? And this is what I learned in consulting. Consulting was great practice for getting a ton of reps, synthesizing and making sense of information. Now, I pr- probably spent about like eight years too long doing that. I could have gotten most of the lessons in two years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what has that been like? It like it's hard, it's hard to realize those things in the time too. Really hard. But the coolest part of it is... So everything I've written for four or five years now has had to go through Ryan's filter. So when I write a draft of anything, um, he mark he like goes through it and is like, it's not there yet, and he'll he'll tell me why. And then I have to like, he doesn't fix it. I have to like keep reworking it until it's ready. Um, and now I'm my draft one is further along than my draft one a couple of years ago because I'm I'm starting at further along that like spectrum. Like I'm starting closer to like where Ryan wants it. So it's brought my like level up, you know? It's like playing tennis with somebody that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like the taste and discernment thing, I think that's one of the, the ways to develop taste is like getting writing for rejection. Um so what does that mean? So Obviously, when I send him a draft, I think it's good. And if I didn't have to go through him, like if I was still just writing on my blog for those years, I would have just kept submitting like those first drafts that I thought were good. But he's like, nope. And now I have to like rework and rework. And through that process, now it takes me less time to get through his rejection. But I think it's like if without him editing the stuff, I wouldn't have progressed yeah. Once you experience that too, it's, it sucks when you don't have that. Yes. Right? <laughs> like yeah. if you don't have people pushing and challenging your ideas, it can feel like, okay, I need to find this. I need to find people to battle test my writing. Yeah. Why? Well, so I did that piece with every recently. Yeah. And the best part of that process was like they had three or four people on their team giving me feedback 
And same thing, like, I thought the first draft was really good, but then they're pointing out stuff that, like, I'm blind to. Yeah, it was amazing. I saw some behind the scenes, too. Your first, your first draft was not that good. It was, no, it was, it was a mess. And it was like, but it, it, it had the you, core you could argument. See, you could see the path, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, there, this is something worth writing. And it's like, okay, how do you get it to the end point? It's somebody giving feedback. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. But it's 90% of it is just knowing how to iterate yourself. For sure. And they, they're, one like sort of major piece of feedback was like we we really like it the argument is is solid but we want more of you in it and i i like like to keep myself out of it for the most part well you you have been out of it (laughs) you're you're writing you're writing ryan stuff yes um but even still with my own i prefer to like tell stories from what I'm, i'm reading not like stories that i've experienced because it's just like less interesting to me like what i've my own you yeah. know, stuff. And you've leaned more into your own writing. What has that process been like in terms of finding your own voice? Because uh, I'm guessing you, your style is not yeah. Ryan's style, right? You it's, can pick up some tools and tricks from him um, and like general vibe, but yeah. it's ultimately not your influences. Yes. Well, I mean, the, the process has been, and he's been super, it was, it was him that was like a year and a half ago. He was, he was like, if, I think you should start putting your own stuff out there. Like what, if you're still working for me in, at this capacity in two or three years, like we both, we both messed up and you, like the way you're going to progress is if you start putting work out there. So yeah, this is, this is something Robert Green writes in Mastery. Yep right? About the three phases of apprenticeship. Embed yourself in a system, learn the system. Yeah. Um, And then the second step is when people often wait too long, which is like, you need to go do your own thing. And that can take many forms. I think the nature of work and part-time work and all those things enables more ways to remix that. But how are you thinking about that? Like it's a year and a half after you made that comment. Um, I... I'm pretty happy with like, I feel like I'm on a good trajectory and Ryan like continues to be a a huge supporter of my stuff, like mentions the newsletter on podcasts and, um, links to it. And it's, it's slowly, my stuff's growing. I'm getting good feedback from people and I feel like I'm finding, um, I'm just like still obsessed with like the craft of, of writing. And I'm, I still feel like I'm working on that. Um, and the newsletter has been helpful because it's, it's called this, it's called six at six on Sunday. So I'm locked into a published time. And without that, I could like, oh, I love it. 6 PM. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes a little after, <laughs> a little but Austin time, you could play with that a little, yeah, yeah. depending on where you are. Somewhere in the world, it has to be six, <laughs> but, um, cause otherwise I could, I love the research and I could just continue to. Um, so it's been good to have like the newsletter as a forcing function to like publish stuff and get feedback. And then some of the article stuff I take more time on, but, um, yeah, I'm just like, want to keep. And how do you structure that? Like, is that a full-time thing? Like, how do you think about spending your time and working on other stuff? Um, well, like the note card system, I've been doing that for three years or so. So a lot of the stuff I'm using in the in the newsletter is like things I had n- taken a note of within the past couple of years. So I have a lot of material to work with, and I'm just constantly adding to that like stock of of stuff. Um, so I try to carve out like an hour or two a day to read and just like consume things that I can use in my own stuff. But then also it's like the work I do with Ryan sometimes if I read something that's I'm like, that's not something he would want to use, but like, I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this. So sometimes like the, my, my, I'm like on the clock for him, but I'm finding stuff I can use. Yeah, that makes sense. It's great uh, alignment. And I know Ryan talks about this idea of like a collection of influences, sort of shaping your own style. Yeah. Who are some of your biggest influences? Well, along with, with Ryan and Robert, uh, Morgan Housel is a big influence on me. I sort of, I think he, what he does with like finance and investing is sort of what Ryan does with philosophy. Yeah. Like using, 
using stories like f- that seemingly have nothing to do with finance and then tying it back. And I like that style of like a story from like this domain and how it relates to this thing over here. And it's something I try to do. It's basically all the newsletter is, is like six des- like disparate things, but here's the through line between them. Those, those are like, I'd say the, th- and I also through the work with, with Ryan, like I'm constantly engaged with, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epic, like those, yeah. I'm always in those books and I can, I see how it is. Do you feel like you're in Rome sometimes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm like. Can, can you picture yourself in that time? I mean, you must get <laughs> so steeped in that. Yeah. I, it's funny, like when Ryan, and I, Ryan will call and like, I was just reading meditation, like, you know, that password where Marcus, and then we're like on a first name basis <laughs> with Mark and it feels like we kind of. We kind of know him. And I do this with like, um, like I was just reading this Dr. Seuss biography and my girlfriend and I were like talking about, um, she, she was talking about like potentially like, where would you, where would be your dream place to live? And I was like, uh, La Hala, California. Yeah. And she's like, what? Why? I was like, that's where Ted lived. <laughs> Dr. Seuss. Yeah. And she's like, who's Ted? <laughs> And now I like I do that with the the people I read about, um, but yeah I do I it's weird I do feel like I know Marcus Aurelius because I just spend so much time with his his journal. Nice, I like it. Talk to me about Australia. What were yeah. what were some of the ahas for you when you arrived in Australia? It seems like that was a big like mindset huge. shift for you. It was huge, um, and it was it was big because like I, w- I went there and just sort of like dropped in on like I, it wasn't like traveling it was like I moved there and I was like experiencing life with in a culture that uh, in some ways was similar but in other other ways was very different and it was um, just to like have that perspective and one of the, one of my first nights in Australia I was like so I went there to play and coach lacrosse. So I, I was immediately like embedded into this this lacrosse team. And a lot of the guys on the team were about my age. So like when I arrived, we went um, and had like dinner and then went to a bar after. And I remember I was like talking to one of the guys or I was talking to like some stranger at the bar. And I asked him like, oh, like, what do you do? Ah, <laughs> uh, you must be American. Like that, that was like a giveaway that like yeah. I asked him what he did for work. I feel like this is a universal experience for Americans abroad. Really? Realizing how obsessed we are with work in this culture. Yeah. But it was also just like, what else was I going to ask the stranger? Like, yeah. I, you default to like, what do you do? And that quickly like got kind of like expunged from my, like it's, I, I stopped asking that and I still like. Do people have a default question there? What's the latest wave you caught? Or <laughs> Yeah. Well, there it's like, they don't, no one cares what you do for like the work culture is even in like the corporate world people won't no wow um <laughs> feels like i should go to i should be sending some books to australia well they'd be like yeah, yeah we get this they're yeah. like what the hell why, why the pathless is- path is like their path <laughs> there's like what's the default path <laughs> yeah but i have heard from australians too that there is a pretty solid uh default path there one friend in australia told me like the dream is like a second home outside of the cities on the water with a boat. Mm. Um, so maybe you just didn't. I was in. I was. So I was in Perth. World. I was yeah. on the west coast, and like, so if I you guess do, if Perth you do research, kind of like the outside. Yeah, like if you do research, like where should I go abroad? And like Perth will not will probably not come up. Um, it's on. That's probably where I'd end up then. <laughs> yeah. So it was. I think if I went to like Sydney. Yeah, that, I would true. have met more people like that, but it's like New York versus Austin. Yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like in, in New York, they ask you right away, "What do you do?" I'm like, "Oh God." In Austin, they're like, "I don't even know." They're like, "Where do you typically walk on the yeah. path?" Your favorite coffee shop? <laughs> coffee shop, yeah. Where do you go to the gym? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you still have that in Austin too. Um, but yeah, any other shifts for you from just living and traveling and you were working for Ryan while still traveling. Not in Australia. So you you came back to the U S you started working for Ryan and you sort of stayed in the U S no, then I was in New Zealand for winter. So you were still traveling a bit. What was that experience like working for somebody 
you admired and basically doing what you wanted most days as well? I think I was like, it was interesting because I was prior to the work with Ryan, I was like very addicted to skiing. And it was interesting to see that that was like turning off. Like I was like, I actually don't want to go ski today. Like I'd rather read this book. Wow. What do you think that is? You think that's just the power of like the creative act? Maybe. It's, I feel like. I also had like 400 straight days of skiing. So I think I I was getting close to like, yeah, I think I like scratched the itch. But skiing is something that hardcore skiers can do this forever. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I'm going next weekend. Like I still, I still love to do it, but it was. The optimal amount was not zero skiing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like one weekend a winter is now I'm good with that. Really? Yeah. Wow. But it was, it was interesting to see. Um, like it was all I, I did thought about, I like would come home from skiing and like watch YouTube of like skiers and I was very obsessed with it. And then, and then suddenly not. Yeah. It was just, you were enjoying the other work you were doing. You were excited to wake up and dive into that. Yeah. Go into ancient Rome. Yep. With your buddy, Marcus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was getting really interested in like, in the way that I once was obsessed with like getting better at lacrosse, for instance, like I was, I was aware that I was having that same feeling towards writing and I was wanting to like the time that I was spending on skiing, I'd rather work on the craft of writing. And you still enjoy it? Writing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What, what about it? Um, do you know like that? Uh, so the, the psychologist, um, Scott Barry Kaufman. Yeah. I heard him recently talk about how like they, they somewhat recently like discovered there's like a dopamine pathway that he calls like the nerdy, the nerdy pathway. And you get like a dopamine hit from like information. And I feel, I like think I've got that. Like when I, I get excited about like this idea and like, Oh, I read this other story that, and putting those together and then trying to like put that in a format that, um, in, in like the written form is really exciting to me. And then, so like on a Sunday, if I have, if I have it my way, I'm just like in my room with no cards trying to do that and like make those connections and I get like pumped about it. Totally get this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wired yeah, the same. The, yeah. the nerdy pathway. I, we, I have the nerdy pathway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're, we're we're info drug addicts. I think so. Who just happen to be alive when this sort of addiction is high status. Yes. I actually heard uh, David Foster Wallace talk about this, where he, he was doing research and he was spending time in halfway houses. And he was like, he, he could see what they, their addiction to like drugs. He was like, because of where I grew up and all I had around me was books my compulsion is for books and he, he like identified a similar compulsion, but like, it's just like what happens to be around and for him, it was books. And for them, it was, yeah, it was something else. But, um, do you think we all need something like this? Yeah, and like, that's so. what's getting so many people addicted to social media just cause like there's a deficit of maybe healthy addiction. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like for, for me, it was like I, that obsessiveness for a while was, was, directed towards skiing yeah. and now it's it's been replaced by something that t- seems to me to be more important um well also as positive externalities yeah right it might enable you to i don't even make mean a living like, it might enable you to make friends but yeah, yeah go ahead I, I don't even mean like it is objectively more important like i just mean like for some reason in my mind i'm more interested in this and that's where yeah now i'm like i don't think about skiing i think about this thing do you think you'll lose this by something else in the future? I'm, I'll never say never, but I do. I think to me, it's a good sign that like I want to spend. I I do not want to go out tonight because I want to be able to wake up early and like read and make note cards. And I I'm like excited <laughs> that like it. that's a thing. Reading and making note cards on a Saturday morning that yeah. can be the title of this episode. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there is like this creative act of continuing to show up and write, there does seem to be something that feels inherently sustainable to it. Like I feel good and nourished and energized after I'm doing these things. Do you feel the same? Oh yeah. No, it's like, 
I, I sometimes, um, yeah, it's like hard to fall asleep because you're just, you've got a few ideas that you're trying to string together. And, um, yeah, sometimes I wish I could just like turn, turn that off, but, um, I definitely feel that. Yeah. One way to cope is just to find all the other ideas, people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is why we've connected. Right. I think it's, it's been so cool for me to meet other people like you for 10 years. I lived in the corporate world where people were not these ideas, um, didn't have the nerdy pathway. Right. (laughs) And people would kind of dunk or say cynical stuff when I bring, isn't this amazing? Isn't people like, ah, you're a fool. And like, I learned to like suppress and quiet that. And I didn't realize there were so many other people with this same nerdy pathway in the world. I think writing online and sharing ideas helps you like quickly find the others because you put these ideas out there and people are like, oh, oh, crap, you too? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, No, it is. It's like a magnet for... So (laughs) my like recent uh, rabbit hole I've been going down is animal courtship. Like, animal courtship <laughs> like animals in, in like the natural world like how they attract a mate have you seen the ricky gervais stand up on this no oh you have to watch send this. me that <laughs> but it was like so the bower bird for instance like builds these elaborate bowers they're called they're just like nests and they like decorate them with with they'll like paint them with cherry like they'll splatter cherries on it and like paint it and the like precision of the geometry of like how it appears to the female the the female is like trying to get a sense of like is this bird smart enough to like take care of us you know but i was like i'm as i'm reading about it, i'm like oh this is like so they need to understand euclidean geometry yeah <laughs> to take it's very wild it. it's like very complex that what they do but it's like to show what they can do to attract people with like oh i like these colors you use in this bower like let's hang out and I, I read that. I was like, it's kind of like what's been happening to me is like putting stuff out there, what I'm interested in, what like I can do. And it's like attracts people that have similar interests. Yeah. So we're all just bower birds putting our geometric <laughs> well, that's just one example. It's like the world. they all are doing something like that, like peacocks. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Any other um, mating rituals of uh, animals? Bird of paradise. If you like search YouTube for bird of paradise dancing rituals. They like learn from their father a dance and then they like, they, they like choreograph it and then they like practice and wait for a female to come and like show them what they can do. And there's like funny videos where like the the bird watches and then flies away. And and, like the narrator is like, even when you put on your best like performance, it doesn't always work out. (laughs) Wow. It's so good. This is such a good metaphor for writing, right? It's like you think you ship a banger and then nobody says (laughs) anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's amazing. So when you said um, in your same interview, uh, senior year, it looked like it was this trivia. You said if you had a billion dollars and you had made it, you would go to the mall and buy a bunch of stuff. And then when you were checking out, you would say, hold on. Anything my boys want. <laughs> so yeah, you that said, sounds about right. Whatever, whenever whatever I, my boys want. whenever I made it, I, I would take care I of my boys. I still have that like dream. Yeah, yeah. I've just like, it's all me, boys. <laughs> and have you started to embrace any of this? Like, are there well, ways so like, to inject that now? Because I don't think you need a billion dollars <laughs> to like buy what your boys need in the store. Yeah. No. I. Ha- I mean. I would want to do like, guys, like I booked this cabin in Montana for the week on me. Flights are booked, like those sorts of things, like experiences where we can, because we're all sort of like spread out now. So it'd be cool, like on my dime, bringing everyone together would be cool. I love that idea. Uh, What... What have you seen? I know Ryan is built out of a team and you've gotten a front uh, eye view on that. Yeah. What have you seen in terms of the kind of people that succeed in this type of environment? Um, people who are already doing the thing before. Proof of work. Not, and it doesn't even have to be like, so one of the things Ryan liked about me was that I was writing 
this blog into the void. And to him, it was like, yeah, that you, showed pure motivation. <laughs> like, I love that. He doesn't need to see you published in the New York Times. He's like, are you just like doing it because you like to do it? And it's almost more impressive that you're doing it to, with no one reading. He didn't know about your uncle, though. <laughs> no, he didn't. Fan. <laughs> he didn't. Um, but that, um, so like when he was hiring someone from the, the bookstore, he hired this girl who had this blog where she reviewed books just as an excuse to like reach out to publishers and say, I review books. Can you send me some? And it Love would like that. fund her, her reading. And she, and Ryan was like done. Like yeah. he loved. So like those sorts of things, people not waiting for like permission to do it, but they just are like, they have this need to do it. And what are the things you've all learned as a team in terms of what you, I think Ryan, other people in the creator economy are really creating these new sort of media yeah. um, teams. And it's really hard, it's I hard. think, from talking to people. But what are some of the things you've learned um, from your perspective? I think it's been helpful to like just have people own one part of it. So early on, it was like I was juggling the the podcast, the email, um, his personal stuff. And it was, I was just sort of like, it was hard to handle all that. And then when we bring someone on, it's like, all right, you're main, all your, you're the YouTube guy. You're the podcast guy. I'm so the e- specialization works. Yeah. Well. Just being able to, because, and everyone on the team has like their own, I'm not the only one that's like trying to do my own stuff creatively. So like, can people just like own one part of it and then also be able to like get some energy from doing their own stuff? What's something that surprised you working with Ryan that you couldn't have predicted? His, so if I didn't see the way he is day to day, I would think he was just always like at the computer writing, but it's, it's not, he's like, he's living a life. If you ever go over to the books, like the painted porch where his office is, He'll be like in his office for like 10 minutes and I'll write a daily stoic email. And then he's like downstairs on the back porch, like with his kids, comes back up, writes something, loads them into the stroller, goes for a walk for like an hour, comes back. Um, so he's like in and out, he's doing stuff. It's not like eight hours in front of a computer screen all day, which I would have assumed. Yeah, that's interesting. I think from reading his stuff, I picture like he wakes up and just like locks in for four hours. Yeah, um, he's he's like a very efficient writer, so he can like if you ever see him in a Google Doc just writing daily stoic stuff, it's like it's as if he's transcribing something. It, it's nonstop, oh, wow. and then he like click click next line, like mic drop, next thing, and he can he can like bang out, and they're like really well written. Um, whereas for me, if like he's like, hey, could you draft up something? quick for like this daily stoic thing that might take me two hours because i'm like it yeah. to f- get ideas clear in my head takes a long time but he's just like very fluid what are some of the opportunities you're seeing given i mean he's he's a larger creator um there's many that are running even bigger enterprises but um, what are some of the opportunities you're seeing? I think one thing I always struggle with is I'm sort of playing the solo game. Yeah. And I don't even know what opportunities I don't know about, right? <laughs> so, so, like, how are you all, like, do you guys have strategy meetings about, like, no. talking about these things? It's sort of just, like, Ryan. So he's still kind of running it in solopreneur mode in terms of, like, his instincts and direction. For sure. Yeah, it's, it all stems from him. Um, and he... He gets he has eyes on like everything that goes out. So like the like our YouTube producer doesn't ship anything unless until Ryan like sees it and, and signs off on. It. So he's still like he knows everything that's going on. Um, he gives people like the the freedom and like the encouragement and like the you know I I can feel empowered to like go write this article in like the way I want to do it and then get his his feedback on it but nothing nothing goes out the door without like him signing off on it that's uh that's fascinating um what are some of the opportunities in the creator economy you think are emerging hmm i don't know um like i know you and your team are focused more on youtube well so for us everything is like this is on youtube (laughs) yeah yes i mean 
but it's it all exists to get back to the newsletter. Yeah, like we want to get people. We want to get people back to the email list, and, and m- most of the the content on on YouTube, the podcast is adapted from stuff we've written. Yeah. Well, um, ultimately, it's all driven to get back to books, right? Right. Books is kind of the the center of gravity for everything. Yes. Uh, which leads, I still think like yeah. email, like it should be the focus. Yeah, that makes sense because that's sort of that's also like an on ramp to get a taste of the writing as mm-hmm. well, right? And then you might level up, write the books. But I guess you could serve a lot of people through newsletter as well. Yeah. What about you? Like, what are your models? Obviously, Ryan and Robert are models for you for paths to follow, but also the world is changing. What sort of things are you excited to create in the future? Is it books? Is it newsletter? Other things you're thinking about in the future? Yeah, newsletter for sure is like my main focus right now. Um, Do you want to write a book? I think so. Like, I have sort of a vague sense that I would like to, but I don't know. It hasn't. I haven't like found the idea that's like consumed me yet. It sounds like you're like me a little bit. We're just like, yeah, book sounds interesting, but I didn't really know I wanted to write a book until it was like, oh, now it's time. Yeah, the idea has sort of chosen me. Yeah, no, I sort of, I definitely believe that. Like what we were talking about with like sort of the obsession with this one thing, and then that switch. Like I feel like I will get obsessed with an idea that I will then be. I'll go. Okay, I think this this is a book but I haven't found that yet. Any other threads that you're feeling pulled by now outside of uh, bird mating rituals um, or animal, animal mating rituals? <laughs> that's my main thing right now. Uh, and that should keep me busy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of animals. There's a lot of animals. Living, um, living and extinct. Well, like my main, I, I like Ryan. I'm mostly read biographies. I'm really into Dr. Seuss, as I said, Charles Schultz. The Peanuts yeah. creator. Like creators that, like Bob Dylan had that th- this line that he was a musical expeditionary. Like he just liked to like study the great musicians before him. I feel like I'm trying to like read about all, all my like creator heroes right now. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it seems like we've lost touch with this or maybe... This is a huge opportunity too, because I think listening to David Senra's founders podcast, so good, you realize a lot of these people were using previous models from previous generations, many of which we've never heard of, right? Right, and it almost seems like in the modern world we're so caught up in the never-ending now mm-hmm. that we're not looking to these models. But there's so many interesting examples, and just like you can have your writing style guides, you can have sort of your life models. And I sort of realize I unconsciously have been doing that over the years. Yeah, I I can't think of any like all of my favorite, and it doesn't matter the domain: musicians, filmmakers. They all talk about just being students of the history. And it, it was like they Athletes became obsessed too. with the thing. Yeah. And it's like, all right, for some reason, the instinct is like, let me go. Who is the best before me? I want to like learn from them. And I've I've seen that. And like every everybody I've been drawn to has a similar impulse to go like like David Sanders, like a great example. And I, I talk to him about this a lot. Like I send him like examples of people talking about calling them like uh, Quentin Tarantino calls himself a film historian. And he's like, no one paid me to do it. I was just like, in my mind, I am. Yeah. And I see this, like, musicians, athletes. So that's, I, I want to just, like, go deep on on some of... Who are some of the most interesting examples of, like, the modern... Like, what is an archetype a modern creator can follow? Because the lessons are really the same. It's just the like channels the and media. Yeah. Um, let me think. Like, so, sort of a cliche one is, is Walt Disney... Like he kind of was doing a version of in, in in the way that creators like branching out into like YouTube and podcasts. Like he was doing that. Yeah. With. Well, at first he was just a freelance cartoonist, uh, cartoon designer. Right. Yeah. And he was just doing it for other people. Yeah. But then there are also like Charles Schultz is sort of the opposite of that, where he was like, I just love cartoons. I'm not going to go anywhere outside of this. And I kind of I, like, that's kind of like a Robert Greene type. Like he's just like, I love books. Um, and he has, he, people help like t- 
take his his video stuff and get it on on other mediums but robert is just single like a single focus on the written word um so i think there's like and ryan's more of like a a walt disney type i feel like um and i think me like i would lean towards robert in this way more like i would rather just focus on books and the written word and not get too distracted by video yeah like me (laughs) (laughs) well i don't no i'm just saying like i i actually like doing a variety of different things and i think i used to try to talk myself into oh what if you did one thing and went all in yeah i never like that i don't i I yeah, lose I, energy. I heard like, you, and you're like, I've tried on that and I, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and maybe I'm lying to myself, but well, the book I did sort of go all in on a year, but during that year I was also learning Chinese and running some training programs with companies on teaching consulting skills. Yeah. So it was like that, that felt like a very alive mix for me. Well, so I, this is back to like the, the influences thing. I I also think part of that is like, if you step back and like, why am I drawn to these, these types of people? You can learn a lot about like what you should pursue. Like, why do I like this person's work so much? There's probably something like I can learn from that. Have you read Luke Burgess's book wanting? Uh, I'm reading it now. And he talks about this, right? Yeah. He he really brings it. Desire. Yeah. Yeah. He brings it a lot better than anyone I've ever seen. I'm only halfway through the book, but it's so good. Okay. Um, And he's talking about, he's like the people you're attracted to can give you information, right? The mimetic desire doesn't have to be bad. There's a dumbed down version of it where you can just like want the big house because everyone wants the big house. Um, But you might be inspired by somebody and you can use them as a model and just really self-reflect and say, okay, is this making my life better? Yeah. I I was listening to uh, Andrew Huberman on a podcast recently and he said when he was in in grad school, he was like basically in isolation, like in his lab. And he made a list of his favorite like scientists that he had read about and he hung it up in his, his office. And he was like, I later came to find out this is what, what's called introjection. 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 Did he make that up? No, it's a real thing. Oh, wow. It's like, a, so it's the process of like inheriting the qualities of others. And like reading does this, but also just like having for him that list of people that he's constantly thinking about. And like, what do I love about that person? And he, like, that's becoming part of him. I love that. Um, yeah. I, I was just um, with Danny Miranda, I was telling you. Mm-hmm. And he said something to me a few weeks ago. He's like, Paul, I think your book's going to sell a million copies. And I'm, I, I found that really interesting because I wouldn't generate that thought. Yeah, <laughs> but now it's in there. <laughs> so I'm asking myself, what would it take for me to, like, how, do I, how would I even arrive at such a thought? Like, I, I just don't have these natural ambitious yeah. energies. Um, and I think a lot of people who meet me <laughs> realize this pretty quickly. It's like Paul's totally underselling himself or like yeah. totally missing the obvious opportunity. So I've been trying to like, okay, how do I, how do I put on the Danny Miranda mode <laughs> and like think of ways that are still creative and fun and in flow of my life. And it's a, it's a really interesting thing to do. So I've been trying to do that just with like some of my friends who think differently than me. Yeah. I mean, I find this when, um, like if, if you, if you listen to a lot of Jocko, you, you're more likely to like wake up when your alarm <laughs> yeah. goes off and like eat healthy. Cause like part of you is thinking like, what would Jocko do? And I, I do find that with like podcasts or, or reading, like some of that you're like consciously thinking about when you're making decisions, you're like, what would Charles Schultz do? He would, okay, I'm going to do that. But yeah, even just like Danny Miranda, implanting that in your head that works too like just the conversation like it's interesting what gets lodged in there from how do you think about ambition i i i really resonated with what you said about like i tried it on and i like i'm not a big goals guy like i i've tried that and i just i'm not like i can't remember remember them or like (laughs) like, continue (laughs) to be aware of them um and i i'm more of I want 
and this might be delusional, but it's like, I want to just do, I feel like these things I'm doing, if I just keep doing it, good things will happen. And it's like, when I've, if I think back to two, three years ago, anything I would have like made as a goal actually would have been like, I couldn't have conceived of better things that happened, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like what there's things right now that if I set a goal, like I wouldn't be able to conceive of happening. And I'm like, I like that. I like that. Like letting that sort of unfold. Yeah. I think that's a similar thing for me. Um, I think you wrote somewhere that the creative act is about not knowing what's going to emerge. Right. Um, I don't, I don't remember exactly where you wrote this, but it's like, kind of the joy of finding out, right? Yeah. yeah. I think I'm way more inspired by that in my own path than like having a goal. Goals are so boring for me. Like the million books is interesting because it's like, oh, that would, um, okay, what behavior should I change? But I can't be driven by that. That does nothing for me. Yeah. But I think like you, like I'm sending my newsletter tomorrow and I have like a couple ideas. I'm like, all right, I want to like tie these out, like finish yeah, yeah, the yeah. writing. I can only think like one or two weeks ahead of time with work. Same. Yeah. Do you, you know the, the like lead versus lag indicators? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I used to work in the business world. Right. Right. <laughs> so this is, this is your lingo. I, I really like that concept of, yeah. of like lead measures or like, so, so in the example of like Danny Miranda saying like, a million copies. So like that would be like a lag measure, but like yeah. what are the things you can do that would actually like make that kind of, what's the word? Not obvious to happen, but like that would be a natural unfolding because you're, you're taking these lead, you're using these lead indicators that you're doing like on a day to day basis that it's just like a matter of time for that to happen. So I, I like to think about yeah. that. And I feel like some of the things I'm doing, like the no card system, I think of as like, these are like lead measures because I'm what this no card I'm making is going to pay off at some point. I don't know when, but I'm going to use this. Yeah, I I love that. I think for me, it's I think about I was on a path I didn't like and didn't want to stay on. So the biggest goal for me is to avoid being on a path I don't like. Right. So yeah. that's self-awareness. Um, I'm on a path I like now. And I think a lot of it is just like intuition and vibes, mm-hmm. right? And the lagging indicators are often things like your uncle saying, this is good. And you being like, oh, right. people like this. And then like people reaching out and saying they like it. I actually got bolder with putting my book out into the world mm. after many people were like, this is a good book. Yeah. Um, now there's some fear stuff there probably I need to work through. But yeah, it was like, oh, yeah, all right, something's happening here. I can't, I don't quite know where it's going, but it's just like, I just need to play the game I can play, which is just keep writing. That's super easy for me. Yeah. And I mean, that the book is at 12,000 plus copies without you thinking once about like, how do I market this thing? That should be to you. It's like, okay, this is helping people. Maybe I should actually put energy into it. Because yeah. like you almost, it's now it's like you should do the work for like more people to know about it because it's obviously working. Yeah. I sh- this is the thing I'm sitting with now. Yeah. It makes me uncomfortable you saying this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, we need, we probably both need like an ambition coach. <laughs> Danny, if you're listening, Danny can be our goal coach. Yeah. <laughs> this big million, no problem. You'll yeah. pull it off. It's going to be great. Yeah. I don't know. I actually don't want that. No, no, no. I think that there's downsides to fame, right? Have you seen that um, with Ryan, any of the downsides of that? Um, People just like coming to the bookstore and expecting him to like drop what he's doing to talk to them. And it's like if he gives everyone that stops by 20 minutes, like his week's gone. Yeah, he wouldn't have a life. and And not people don't see all the others that come by and try to do the same thing. So it's like they take it like personal and it's a tough spot because it's like he has, he has work to do. Um, it's not like that he, he doesn't want to, but, and I, yeah, I don't know. That's that always, when it happens and I see it from afar, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, but it's, I mean, aside from that, I don't, I've not really seen. 
Awesome. What, um, where should people go to learn more about, um, Billy Oppenheimer, what you're working on and, um, I have a website, billyoppenheimer.com. I'm on, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Are you, you're not related to, um, Robert Oppenheimer? No. Okay. I, I always get like people like ask this. That's a good book. Oppenheimer. Yeah. I think I recommended it to you before. But anyway, billyoppenheimer.com, um, six at six, six PM Austin time or wherever Billy (laughs) happens to be on Sundays. Yeah. Check it out. Um, always really interesting stories. I, I love your writing. It's super, um, it's tight. It does remind me of like Morgan Housel. So it's good stuff. Keep going. Man. Oh, I appreciate that. And Twitter, do you want people to follow you there? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, I'm like, I, I just try to share like things I'm coming across in research. It's kind of a version of what I do in the newsletter, but um, obviously it's more restrictions on, on character length, but it's it's to get a taste of what the newsletter is. Um, Twitter's a good spot to. Awesome! Thanks for joining uh, this in person podcast. It yeah. was a thank you incredible convo. Do it again. Thank you for listening to the Pathless Path. I love having these conversations, and if you want to support me, you can rate, review, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow me on YouTube where I post all the video interviews of this podcast as well. Finally, you can always support me by buying my book, The Pathless Path. It's a book I'm really proud of and has most of my best thinking and probably my best writing in it. And you can get it for less than 20 bucks. So grab that. It's in the show notes. And thank you for listening. Hey all, thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can of course check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership, and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.